So I was just uh, wondering who's left all their stuff on this uh, lectern, and then I noticed it, it was me <laughs> at a funeral uh, a few weeks ago, or a week ago, so there we go, just move that away. And um, thank you everyone who's taken part in the service so far, and uh, I must admit I'm in the Major General's good books today. Not only do we have Vagabonds, which is Tim's uh, favourite song of all time, uh, but we also gave Roddy the opportunity to sing about his favourite newspaper, The Guardian. So that was uh, splendid. (laughs) Good. So I don't know how you are today, whether you've had a good weekend or not. Who's enjoying the sunshine? Yeah, good. Also good for me. West Ham haven't lost this weekend. I do like it when they don't play. It's always... uh, (laughs) Always encouraging. Excellent. So, week six of our On Mission with Jesus series. And I thought it would be good just to start with a brief resume of what we've covered so far. So, it started in Luke 5 with the calling of the disciples. And that calling was to be fishers of men, fishers of people, men, women, and children. It was followed by the healing of the paralyzed man, which showed us our greatest need to be forgiven and gave us a great example of that mission. Those four friends bringing their paralyzed man friend to Jesus. Then we had Luke's version of the Beatitudes, showing us that our spiritual hunger, if we have it, will be satisfied in Jesus. Do flick through the, the bullet points, Steve, as we go through these. And then we had um, Chofi's uh, teaching in her sermon that we're not to judge. Judging ruins the mission. It's such a turn-off. Rather, humility is key if we want people to listen to us. And we were told, too, to embrace dependence and not independence by obeying Jesus as Lord. And then last week, we focused on two unlikely believers. We'll see pictures of them now. First of all, We've got the man who amazed Jesus, the Roman centurion, a Gentile, whose faith Jesus found extraordinary. And then we had uh, the next one, next picture. If you just flick on Steve, we've got uh, the woman. uh, We're told she's a sinful woman, almost certainly a prostitute. And we've got a picture of her here. The woman who knew what forgiveness is worth. She knew her own sinfulness. She believed in God's mercy and grace. And Jesus said to her, those who have been forgiven most will love the most. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And the next slide just summarizes that. So, up to now on our missionary training course, we've learned the goal of the mission, to be fishers of people and to bring people to Jesus. We've learned we need to be hungry, so we will be spiritually fed. We've learned that we need to be humble, focusing on our own sin rather than judging the sin of others. And we've learned that it really is good news for everyone, for Roman centurions, for Gentiles, for Jews, and for people whose lifestyles were seen as as sinful as they could possibly be. Everyone can be forgiven through Jesus who died in our place on the cross. And that's the starting point of discipleship. That's where we've got up to in our missionary training course so far. And what we're learning about today then is what comes next. We've recognized our own sin and have been forgiven. We've understood the goal of the mission. So today the question is how? How can that mission be fulfilled? By which we mean both through us and also in us. For we are as much the fruit of the kingdom as those we seek 
to reach. And we're doing it through the lens of one of Jesus' most famous parables. The the, uh, parable of the sower, as most people know it, or as many commentators prefer to call it, the parable of the soils. Now, I must admit, my colleagues would probably suggest calling it the Sermon of the Sows, because they they suggest that I actually start something like every other paragraph of my sermon with the word sow. Has anyone noticed that? Isn't it? And my answer to that is, so what? (laughs) Sow and sows. (laughs) Anyway, we'll have as many sows as we want today, or as I want. Uh, But what we're going to be doing also, as we look at this parable, whatever we call it, is focusing very directly on our next steps as a church. Focusing on the second of our three vision priorities, connecting with those outside the church. So that's where we're heading. Let me just pray for us now before I begin. Father, thank you for this parable. Lord, it's such an easy-to-visualize reminder of what happens when your word is proclaimed. It's such a good example of what you call us to as witnesses. But it's also such a warning, such a salutary lesson about what happens to so much of the seed that is sown. Father, I pray that we would heed its warning. I pray that we would be inspired by its example. And that your mission through this church would not be hindered but would flourish, empowered by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so on with the sermon, and the next slide, or the slide's already there, tells you where we're heading. We're going to do two things. First of all, what do we learn about the sower, and how does that apply to us? And then secondly, what do we learn about the soil, and what can we learn from that? So first then, the sower. And it's clear that in his immediate context, Jesus is talking about his own ministry. For he is the one proclaiming God's word. But even the timing of the parable actually in his ministry is significant for, because it marked itself a new stage. The beginning of uh, Luke, Luke chapter 8 tells us that. It's clear up to that point that most of Jesus' ministry has been in Capernaum, the hometown of Peter and Andrew, James and John. And at that stage, those who wanted to listen to Jesus had had effectively to come to him. This was centripetal mission. But now in this new stage of the ministry, that this parable begins, Jesus was taking the word out into the towns and the villages all over Galilee. This was centrifugal mission now. Jesus was coming to them, people all over the north of Israel. And it's a shift which, of course, parallels the transition from the centripetal mission of Israel, where God-fearing people of other nations came to Israel, like the Queen of Sheba so famously, under Solomon, to a time under the church of centrifugal mission, where the disciples and followers of Jesus take the good news out. So this parable marks that transition in Jesus' ministry, which foreshadows that greater mission that we too are part of. And it's preparing them and preparing us for that mission. So, this parable at this juncture seems terribly appropriate because it's about a farmer going out, scattering seed everywhere, 
just as Jesus would across Israel and the disciples would across the world just a few years later. And just as as I shared in my first sermon in this series, if you remember, that I really feel God wants us to this term and next term too. I really feel that actually connecting with people out there is our priority in this season, focusing on what we do out there in the community and less on what we do in here in church, which is not to say we're going to stop trying to have good services, but it's saying that our priority now, with our vision in place, is to be visible out there in the community. And Daniel and I particularly have been speaking a lot about what that might look like and creating some opportunities for us to do that through the term. And it's about being audible to telling our story out there, sharing the good news. Because what's clear as we read Luke's gospel, or indeed the rest of the New Testament, is this. The main activity of the church needs to be its mission out there in the community. With this perspective then, the purpose of Sunday gatherings is this. Refueling as God feeds us through his word, refocusing our vision as we respond to people's needs and what God is doing through us. And it's about renewal. As God fills us with his spirit and we worship him in spirit and truth, equipped, full of the spirit, ready to go out again. Or if a modern visual illustration helps, think of church, if you like, as an aircraft carrier the base to which we repeatedly return. But where our main purpose relates not to what happens on the ship, but rather to what we're doing on the ground or in the air. Now, I realise in an army town, perhaps I shouldn't have used a naval analogy, but you get the point, I hope. So, what is it that we're to be doing as pilots within that metaphor? In simple terms, it's to do as Jesus did which, as his parable suggested, was liberally sowing the word of God, which with our modern agricultural methods we're perhaps tempted to see as somewhat uh, insufficient in its approach, or inefficient, rather, I should say. But but the fact is that actually scholars tell us in first century Palestine, or the historians tell us, this, this way of scattering the seed liberally was very much the standard way to sow. And actually that video showed us that, didn't it? For in Israel now, as in Israel now, sowing took place then from late October to early December. And the sower would carry a bag of grain, usually slung over his shoulder. And he tossed the seed in rows. And with the terrain Jesus had in mind, uh, most most likely the hill country of Palestine, there really was great variety in the quality of the soil you would find there. And it was often hard to tell what sort of soil you were dealing with, for there was so much topsoil set thinly over limestone rock base, and there still is now, with paths probably not as obvious either as they would be today. But the same principle applies to the activity into which this parable speaks. Because Jesus isn't actually giving agricultural advice. He's talking about his sharing of the word of God and then our sharing as we take his mission forward. For the reality is, we so rarely know the true condition of someone's heart. And that's true, isn't it? We so rarely know. We so rarely have the full picture. We so rarely know what God has already been doing in them. 
And so we often don't know who is open and who is closed. And even when uh, what seems like a hostile situation, when someone really pushes back as we share about our faith, can in fact be the evidence that under the surface a revolution or at least a re-evaluation is taking place. When a person is truly considering the claims of Jesus, resistance can often be the knee-jerk reaction. And I've seen that so many times on Alpha or on other occasions. It's like a protective shield is being raised whilst vital work is going on in their head and their hearts. And what I've come to see is this. When the gospel enters a person's heart and a person's head, the effects can be extraordinary. For it's not a merely intellectual encounter, rather it's a work of the Holy Spirit, connecting with deeply felt yearnings in the soul. And we may never see the glorious outcome of any one encounter we have with someone about Jesus. It might just be one of many stepping stones along the way of their, to their faith. But God knows, and God is in control. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. And so in the light of this parable, sharing our faith openly and indiscriminately is the only right response. Never writing anyone off and never doubting the ability of God to surprise us all. Treating every conversation and every situation as a potential God incidence in which he is at work in it. And never forgetting that our purpose, our calling, is to be a light to the world. It's no surprise that Jesus followed that parable of the sower with talking about the light. And as our Romans passage that Anne read put it, quoting Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, being no doubt, the feet of messengers in first century uh, Israel were dirty and sweaty and smelly. But in the eyes of someone receiving the salvation of their souls, they were the feet of angels. And we too have to remember that to the right person at the right time, our testimony, our sharing of the gospel is the best news they have ever heard. It's always worth sharing. And with prayer and courage and sensitivity and the work of the Holy Spirit, it can have the most wonderful results. Our own lives, our own faith, our own testimony backs that up, doesn't it? So, are you encouraged? We should be. Because God is at work in this world. God is bringing people to know him. And he calls us to be part of it. So, that's the first half. That's the sower. And he's our role model in sharing our faith. But our words will only have credibility if as well as sowing... We ourselves are also good soil. For the sign of a healthy Christian is not just what we, we do and what we say to others. It's what God is saying and doing in us. And here's the scary thing. In this parable of the four categories of people Jesus describes, only one is saved. 
Good soil is the key. We've got to be on fertile ground. For we've got to be deeply rooted and we've got to lap up the sunshine and the rain when it comes. And we've got to retain our spiritual focus. So we're planted neither on the rocky ground nor among the weeds and thorns. For they are the two obvious dangers for those of us who come to church at least because I'm rather presupposing that we've moved beyond the complete non-engagement with spiritual matters represented by the path. They are those who have no interest whatsoever. But for us, it's the rocky ground and it's the, the weeds and the thorns that we need to be aware of. So what do they represent? Well, the rocky ground represents unrealistic expectations. What do I mean by that? I mean those who at first embrace the gospel and the gospel message without understanding the costs. They're those who think they're up for being a Christian, but only if it's easy. And what happens when the pressures come? These people fall away. Be under no illusions. The Christian life isn't easy. I don't think the non-Christian life is that easy either. But the Christian life takes effort. It takes perseverance. And it does sometimes bring persecution, or at least as we might call it in this country, mockery. And that sense of being made to stand apart, to be different. And it does affect every aspect of our lives and needs to. And nothing less than transformation is its purpose. God doesn't want simply an inoffensive, skin-deep Christian veneer on our lives. He's not interested in that. That's not what will bring the kingdom. That's not what will draw people to faith. But be in no doubt that though it's difficult, though it's challenging, though we have to persevere, though it demands everything, the rewards are enormous. We should think, as I hope we do all think, that actually we could live no other way. For this is about light and darkness. It's about lives built on the rock versus lives built on the sand with all the consequences that that brings. Okay, so that's the rocky ground. What about the weeds and thorns? Jesus explains that they represent life's worries, riches and pleasures, which though not wrong in themselves, are absolutely destructive when placed as a higher priority in our lives. When Jesus is not Lord, or at least not in everything, where rather than being at the centre of our lives, he's out there on the periphery, having very little impact at all. Now, of course, Christians can come back from putting Jesus on the periphery. We've probably all done it, perhaps unintentionally at times, in our lives. But the warning of this parable is that ultimately... A faith that stays with Jesus out there is so vulnerable, so marginalized, that it will wither away and die. And it certainly won't attract anyone else. If you want to be sure of fulfilling the destiny that God has planned for you and fulfilling your call to grow the kingdom, well then a peripheral faith is not enough. Jesus and the New Testament writers are very clear. Heaven is for those whose faith has stood the test of time. And how do we make sure it does? By locating ourselves firmly within a Christian community. Communicating with God regularly in prayer. 
feeding daily if possible on his word, obeying his commands and seeking his prompting and his empowering in all that we do. That's what this missionary training course has told us so far. That's the nature of the Christian life. Yes, it demands a lot. But if all those things are in place, you will grow. Jesus will transform you. And you will be a light. And then, people will see something in us. People will see that radiance. People will see that spark. People will see that there's something different. They'll see the peace, the hope, the joy, the compassion, the wisdom. And they'll know that we've got something that they haven't. And in the end, many of them will decide that's something they want to. The tragedy is if we or anyone else doesn't tell them. But be assured, if you're shining brightly, if the passion you have for Jesus is pouring out of you, if you're on fire for him, there will be an impact. Seeds will be sown. God will be glorified. So, that's the parable. We're both the sower and the crop. And the lesson is clear. We can't sow effectively unless we are also allowing the seed of God's word inside us to keep growing and growing and bearing fruit. The two depend on each other, sower and the seed, working together. So, I want to finish now with bringing the sermon back to our vision as a church. As I think we're probably all aware now, we've got three vision priorities, three simple things that if we do them all, we can be confident that everything else God wants in us and through us will happen. This, this sermon is really, and this parable is really about the second and third of them, connecting and growing, which if underpinned by the first of them, prayer, will see God's vision for us fulfilled. And it's because of the importance of prayer. That's why we have these monthly prayer meetings on Sunday nights. It's why we have prayer at seven every week on Wednesday and why we have various other prayer gatherings and build it into our routine as life groups as well and antecessions in services too. Prayer changes things. We need to pray. But the vision priority, as I've already said, this term that I want us to focus on is connecting. For the reality is that for most Christians... And let's be honest about this. The great temptation is to withdraw, to retreat into a comfortable, safe Christian bubble in which real growing relationships outside the church, our families excluded, are few and far between. I know because it's happened to me at several points in my life. Now, don't get me wrong. We need each other. Of course we do. The church is the aircraft carrier. Without it, we'd be stranded and alone. But the purpose of the church is the mission. The church isn't an end in itself. It was created to take forward the mission of Jesus. And so we simply have to maintain and, if necessary, create new opportunities to spend time with not yet Christians if we're to see that mission fulfilled. So let me tell you what we've been doing then in in recent weeks as a staff team among the ministry coordinators and in some other discussions I've been having. We've been reviewing what are the activities that we know of that are going on either through this church or, or just happening anyway from the grassroots, as it were, bubbling up. 
What are these activities that we're aware of which are actually connecting people from outside the church with those inside? And actually, that process of reviewing what was actually happening was really encouraging. And let me just tell you what we came up with. Well, there were some things that are long established, like the Fine Weather Walkers, a table tennis club, the Banner Group, the Mums and Toddlers. And then there were others that have recently been set up, like the Point or Oasis, or on a smaller scale, two that Sophie and I have have, um, personally pioneered recently, a monthly curry club aimed at men of, of my sort of age, and a weekly netball group that Sophie's been running for um, young adults, um, men and women. But beyond that, there are many others in the pipeline. One is a proposal for regular cafe-style discussion nights for those interested in science and faith. And if you were here on Tuesday, you'll know how many people came to that event and how much interest there is out there for that sort of thing. Another thing I've had discussions with people about is setting up a Christian-rooted mindfulness class building on what people are already pursuing out there, outside the church. We've talked too about a music jamming group that that meets just to enjoy doing music together or singing together. And there were all sorts of other things that we could do. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people in this church who are maxed out. They're already doing too much stuff, and that's fine. We're not asking you to do any more. But we're simply asking the question, Are there other things that could be going on outside the church that some of us could be part of that would allow us to connect with other people who we don't otherwise connect with through passions, through interests, through shared circumstances, hobbies or gifts or anything else that provides us with an excuse to meet together? Yes, even if it's curry or coffee or beer. So, what we want to do is just take the opportunity um, in a few minutes in the service just to fill in a little survey. It's about two or three minutes. If you really want to take longer over it, by all means, take it with you and fill it in over coffee and bring it back uh, at the end of that. And what it's doing is helping us just to identify what are the things that we're passionate about? What are the things that we're already doing that we enjoy? That actually there will be other people out there in the community who would enjoy doing it with us too. What we want to do is just gather in this data, just find out, as a church, what are we interested in? What's already happening? And then how we might be able to build on that. And how God might be calling uh, a few people, a few individuals, just to start one or two new things that extend our connecting further afield in this community. So, that's why we're doing that. We'll see what the results are. And it's just part of a process of reflection and part of a process of prayerfully discerning how God is going to help us connect with more people outside the church. And if anything comes of it, we'll try it for a season, see whether it bears fruit. And the things that do bear fruit, well, we'll build in as part of who we are as a church and who we are as Christians, mixing with those around us in Camberley and beyond. So, they're being given out to you, I believe. Uh, Hopefully some pens will be available as well. Uh, If you need a pen, perhaps you can put up a hand and one of the stewards will get one for you or share with those around you. Now, before we do that, I just want to pray for us, okay? So, we'll we'll just take this moment to uh, give them out. If you haven't already, put your hand up if you need either a survey sheet or a pen.
Okay, we're getting there. We've already got quite a lot of uh, filled in sheets from the nine o'clock congregation as well. Okay, so before we get into that, I'm just going to pray, okay? I'm going to pray for us in the light of what we thought about. We're then going to sing a song, which is very much preparing us to think outwardly, to think about depending on God as we seek to stand firm and share our faith with others. And then we'll take some time formally to fill this in and collect those up before Sophie leads us in a final uh, song together. So let me pray. And why don't we, as we do this, just as Sophie encouraged us to do, just to take a posture that... uh, Let's stand as well, actually, because we're about to sing.